Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I have Tracy Stanley on with us. She is an author, a yoga nidra teacher, a meditation teacher, and she is one of my mentors. So I'm super excited to chat with you today, Tracy. Uh, thank you so much for having me today, Andrea. Yeah. So I thought I would start with, because you're kind of in the, the brutal or the brutal part of like your book launch. How are you nourishing yourself right now? Yeah, I I love that question. And it's funny because I woke up this morning um, with an inspiration that dropped in around doing a free class for writers who are having their books published about how to do an easeful book launch. Because I'm not about this idea of the hustle and the grind of the book launch. And so I think the first thing that happens before the book launch actually even gets happening with interviews and all of that is that um, I work with my marketing team. Crystal Higgins is one of the people on my marketing team. I work with my publicists and we basically craft a set of interviews that are really only going to be nourishing. Right. So it's friends and people that I've practiced with or studied with or people that I know are really interested in the subject matter and are committed to reading the book and asking, you know, questions that are relevant to the work. And so I feel like for me, it's more of an excitement Mm -hmm. to sit down with a beloved and hop on an IG live, which is not something that is really in my DNA to kind of be on Instagram lives all the time. Um, But when I'm sitting with a beloved and we can look eye to eye and feel in heart to heart and talk about things that are important and relevant for today, as well as whatever book I happen to be, you know, promoting, then it's nourishing. And then of course I sprinkle in rest uh, throughout the day. I don't create this kind of back to back to back schedule. And I find that to be really, really helpful for me. And I also know my creative flow of the day, Mm. right? So like after a certain time, it's like, I can't do any interviews because the sun is going down and so am I. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I know I can relate to that because last week I just had a podcast interview. We could only do evening. And so both of us were like, hopefully we spoke and you understood what we said because just like the sun, I mean, our energy goes down and your book talks a lot about nature. And I would love to know, is that something that you grew up, you know, in nature, you were always outside. How did that kind of come into your life? Yeah. So I definitely grew up um, surrounded by nature. However, Um, my early memories of nature were around curiosity, but fear from my parents. Mm. Right. And so my first house that I can remember um, there, we had a lot of land and there was a big garden in the back, but it was kind of like this little secret garden. And my parents would always say, don't go into the back where the garden is because there's snakes and there's all kinds, it's not safe to go back there. So, and then the next house there, there was a wooded area and it was like the shortcut to get to school, to go through the woods. And it was like, no, don't go through the woods. You have to walk around. It's not safe. So there was this element of 
nature not being safe, right? Which was also compounded by uh, visuals from films like Roots, where I would see enslaved people running for their lives through the woods. And so as much as I love to climb trees, it was more of a manicured, contained um, exploration of nature within my own yard, so to speak. And then at the same time, a curiosity, because of course I'm the type of person, or at least I was the type of kid that if someone tells me not to do something, I'm just like, oh, what's in there? <laughs> so I, it's- My son is the same. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been, um, it's been a revealing of the beauty of nature over time. I was lucky enough to be in a partnership um, with someone that didn't work out well, but I feel like the gift of that partnership was that this person was extremely comfortable in deep nature, in wild nature. Mm -hmm. And they brought me in to their world of exploring nature. And then eventually we moved to a very rural area that we were living by the river, by the woods, in the forest, and it was beautiful. And so that I think was the beginning really of me starting to understand, have a deeper understanding of nature. And then as that has evolved, it's been, you know, being in a reciprocal relationship with nature as opposed to, oh, I'm going to go sit by the ocean just so I can feel better, or I'm mm -hmm. going to nature to take something and to be healed mm -hmm. without offering any of my gifts back to nature. So. And then how do you go about doing that? If someone's listening, they're like, oh, that's a new concept to me. How do you kind of make that work in that reciprocal manner? Yeah. I mean, there's, I, first of all, I think that there's so many different ways and it's going to be different for each of us, but for me, it can be as simple as leaving an offering, watering a tree, singing a song, right? There, there's a, a song from the Dagara tribe that I really love that's about honoring the earth. And so a lot of times when I first begin my walk, I will start with singing that song, practicing meditation where you're visualizing the oxygen coming in and the carbon dioxide going out. And it's as though you're feeding all of the plant life around you, just acknowledging all the other than humans that are kind of hanging around and supporting you in, in the space. So I think the deeper you go with it, um, the more it becomes a ritual that you can weave into your life every day. Mm, I love that. That's, I have a wooded trail that I go down with my boys all the time and my seven month old. So I would walk down there when I was pregnant with him and the trees in this one particular area, I always greet them. It's kind of like the opening to the woods and we always talk and, you know, my seven-year-old does as well. And this was the first time, you know, my seven month old, as soon as we entered him, he started just kind of babbling and talking. And I'm like, I hadn't even started it yet. And so, you know, like he already has that relationship of mm. just like this knowing of I'm comfortable here. And I love this spot in nature and feel that connection. So I can totally relate to the, the giving back and, you know, cause nature does give to you. And that was kind of a great, um, you know, experience for myself just to see how deeply these woods mean to me and vice versa, I think. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. <laughs> yeah. 
And does that nature, is that something that you do every day? Is there like a, a spot that you go to? Are you someone who goes to a new spot every time? This is something people ask me all the time. And I always go to my same spot over and over because I have that deep relationship. Is that something that you have, or do you like to kind of hop around uh, to different areas? No, I have a specific spot. I have, I, I would say really three different spots on my, the land that I'm stewarding. So, mm, yeah. I love that. So when you're in meditation, you know, it's such a deep practice. And I feel like maybe, you know, because you teach meditation, people feel like it comes easily to you. And going out in nature and having these experiences, is that something that does come easy to you? Or is this something that, you know, there are days where you don't want to do it, but you show up anyway, you know, what is kind of your experience there? Yeah. I mean, I think that, I don't know if I would say easy. I think I would say necessary, Mm. (laughs) you know, it's something like, oh, I have a resistance to drinking water. (laughs) like as much water as I should drink, but I know that I need to do it because it's life affirming for me. And so it becomes a ritual that is something that doesn't have anything to do with, is it easy or is it hard? Yeah. I love that. Since your book has kind of been out in the world, is there anything that's been reflected back to you that is maybe surprising or, you know, that people have said, oh, I've really enjoyed this part that maybe you didn't think, you know, would land as heavily as it has? Mm. You know, I think that it's interesting because I feel like um, the book for and the reflection that I'm receiving from people feels like it has this adaptogenic quality to it Mm -hmm. and that people are reading it and coming back with things that I barely remember that I wrote and sending me messages like, Oh, this line, this, I just started the book and I'm only on page 12 and this line has already shifted something in me or this practice has already shifted something in me. So it's hard to say. I will say that um, recently in the last like two or three days, I've gotten a, quite a few emails about um, a practice that I did a reframe on. So there was a practice that I learned um, years ago, which is around dissolving um, a trait within you that is not life affirming, something that is not who you are, that you're ready to dissolve. And that was presented to me as a practice called the dark man of sin, which I found to be very problematic as a title and also as the visualization. And there's many, many layers of that that I felt were like, wow, this is a really interesting title that's been given to this meditation. And I kind of shifted the meditation in a way that I felt would be more, um, you know, helpful for people without making anybody feel shameful of who they are. Mm. And I've gotten a number of emails saying, oh yeah, thank you so much for the reframe on this practice. 
because I received this practice 10, 15 years ago and I could never do it because of this reason. And now I feel like I have access to this practice. And so for me, I think what I really wanted to do with this book is to make the practices accessible, whether you're new to yoga, whether you're an experienced yoga teacher or practitioner, that they were accessible and relatable to our lives. Because sometimes we read these texts and we read the sutras and we understand them from um, maybe an intellectual uh, place, or we don't understand them at all. And I know for me, I, I feel like the Yoga Sutra specifically is a many lifetimes of learning. And so I wanted to offer personal stories in the book to help underpin and give a foundation to how they worked in my life so that maybe there would be a reflection. And people are also responding to those stories as well. Mm. Yeah. And I, I personally have read, you know, the first half of the book and, you know, have been loving it and the stories in there are just, I mean, I don't want to give them away, but definitely read the book because they are just pull at your heartstrings, some of them and, you know, the egg incident and Mm. all of those that I'm just like, wow, like that's, that's a lot. And so to go through and, you know, it kind of gave me an insight, you know, into you a little bit more and just, you know, how you're kind of went, you know, and I know you came from LA and maybe people don't know this, um, but you know, you came from LA and now you're in New Mexico and you kind of switched gears into things, you know, how has that evolution maybe played a deeper layer into where you are today? You know, just that transition, you know, in environments to, you know, Hey, I am out in nature and maybe not in the hustle bustle of the city. Yeah. I mean, what I would say is I lived in Topanga Canyon for 14 years, um, which is a kind of small little inlet town within Los Angeles. So I wasn't in the city. I had access to the city, which was wonderful when I wanted to go in there. But most of the time I was up on the mountain. (laughs) And yet as much beautiful um, environment, natural environment there was there, there was still the vibration of Los Angeles that was riding under that. And it wasn't until recently where I began to feel like that vibration was becoming louder and that vibration was becoming stronger. And it was almost like, oh, I can, I can really feel the buzz of the city now. And so for me, I knew that it was time to shift into a different environment. And I, my husband and I were, thinking about all the different places and making lists and and envisioning what we wanted our lives to be. And nature, being in nature in a more rural environment was definitely part of that. And I had a dream. And in that dream, there was a message and the message came through very clearly that we needed to explore Santa Fe area. And so now we live outside of Santa Fe um, in Northern New Mexico. And the difference that I would say is the the quality of quiet is really profound. It almost feels as though the silence is pushing up against you. The quality of the dark night sky, because I live in a dark night sky community, dark sky community, which means that everyone is aware that they want to preserve the dark night sky and so when you, you know, 
do your lighting. It's done in a certain way. Lights have to be off at a certain time. And that has just reconnected me um, in a deeper way to the vastness and the cosmos within. And so I'm seeing all these different reflections as well as um, just being more in touch with the cycles of nature. Now I've had, I've been a longtime gardener. And so I would have said previously, yes, I'm in touch with the cycles of nature. I've lived in places where it snows and where there's all this, but being in LA, everything is constantly in bloom. And I also think that the culture wants to also constantly be in bloom, constantly be youthful, constantly be young, right? And that gets reflected back in so many different ways. And so being in Santa Fe area, New Mexico, um, the elements are very unforgiving. It's very real. You get to see the, the cycles of life just on on the walk, you you might see a carcass of you know an animal that's just been eaten by a coyote. You might see a baby doe. You might you know, and so you have to be with. And so what I'm what I'm touching into is being with nature, not being in nature, and also allowing those reflections of all these different cycles of death and rebirth. And having that inquiry within me, what is dying within me and what wants to be born and not being afraid of that. That I think is something that many of us struggle with. I know myself, you know, as well, and just Ayurveda and yoga touches so much on that. I know you have that in your book as well. How can maybe people, and I grew up on a farm, so I'm also a little bit more I don't want to say comfortable, but I grew up seeing dead animals because that just happens on a farm. And, and so that was something that I know my husband was like, whoa, when he first came to visit and he was just like, you just have stuff around. I'm like, that's, that's what farming, you know, it's, it's part of life, I guess, down here. And that's something that I know, you know, many of us struggle with that kind of that threshold is there a practice that maybe helped you or do you pause and reflect when you see maybe animals that have passed on or how can people maybe integrate this into their daily life? They might not see, you know, the animals or, you know, things, but we all have death, you know, in our lives and sometimes on the daily, just something dying within us. How can people get maybe more comfortable with that process? Yeah, I think the the practices of, um, observing the transitions and observing what arises in those transitions. There is a practice in the book um, called uh, embracing transitions, which is a, a breath practice of just observing the gap between the inhale and the exhale and the gap between the exhale and the inhale and beginning to just notice what we notice, what arises in that space that to me is the simplest practice. And then of course, yoga nidra is the practice of really the liminal space, the practice of dissolution, the practice of, of literally dying and being reborn. 
With Yoga Nidra, have you found that your practice maybe to hold that space for yourself and that stillness, you know, having moved to New Mexico, did it get even deeper for you? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think that it, it shifted, um, because I was able to rest more on the land and to rest not only with my own ancestors, but with the ancestors of the land and offering my prayers back to them because this land, you can feel the people come to New Mexico and they say, oh, wow, something, you know, it feels so sacred. It feels so magical. And it's more than just the beautiful mountains and the light. They're, uh, these are the ancestral lands of the Tewa people and they have been praying and doing ceremony on this land for millennia. And you can feel that. Mm-hmm. And so that to me is another element that is very felt being here that I think has an impact on yoga nidra practice mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And just the power, the, the power of resting and slowing down, I think for many of us, we struggle with and, you know, finding that, that, peace in that slowness and in that stillness. If someone's maybe listening and they're like, you know, I know you often say rest is a birthright. If you're feeling like, how, you know, how do I make that space? And it's so hard for me. Are there any tips for, for people in that space of like, I I don't know how, I don't know how to rest. I feel really uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, I think that we can all think about the ways in which we waste time, <laughs> the the ways in which we are doing things habitually that are unconscious, that are not life-affirming. And if we can let go of some of those things, then we can create the space to rest. Mm-hmm. And a rest practice doesn't need to be, or a yoga nidra practice doesn't need to be a 30-minute practice. You know, you can create a space where you have a nest set up or fold it in a corner so that it's ready. And you can just begin by starting to just lie down for five minutes. So instead of having to listen to a recording, unless you happen to find a practice that is a recorded like five minute practice, just practice lying down for five minutes. And when you lie down for five minutes, you're going to start to see, most of us will, I think, the resistance to resting. Mm. And then take a minute after that five minutes to write down all the things that you experience as resistance. And then take another minute to write down what are the antidotes to that resistance? Mm. What can you do to start to soften that resistance? If it's coming in the form of a thought form, is it true? Is it actually your thought about rest or is it inherited? Mm -hmm. And so I think that these are really important inquiries for us to ask so that we can start to peel away um, these beliefs around rest, the, the ideas that we are not worthy, the ideas that we have to earn rest, the idea that we're lazy if we're resting. You know, sleep is not rest. Sleep is a biological need. Intentional rest is something that makes you more productive because you're more clear, you're more energized, 
you are more peaceful. And it also will, you know, kind of reveal what's not peaceful within you that might need to be looked at. That might be something that you've been pushing down for a long time. And so we all deserve to rest, like truly rest. And I think the easiest thing, or not, I won't say the easiest thing, but the way to begin is to really just be with, set a timer, lie down for five minutes and just notice what arises. Do you think this would help people too? Because I hear, especially, you know, in the last few years of sleeping, actual sleeping and resting at night as an issue and the mind spinning. And if people maybe pause throughout their day a little more, they would be able to have a little more easeful transition. Yeah, the feedback that I get is that intentional rest during the early part of the day, like before two o'clock or three o'clock, along with rewriting right after mm-hmm. has helped people rest. Yoga Nidra practice has helped people to fall asleep, right? I know people who have insomnia and they'll wake up at like two o'clock in the morning. And instead of letting the mind toss and turn, they'll put on a yoga nidra and a yoga nidra and a yoga nidra and keep listening to different yoga nidras Mm. until it's time for them to get up. And they always tell me, I feel just as rested as if I had been sleeping. So it's a tool for people. um, And it's not to say that that's what the origin of the practice was for, but people have been finding comfort in practicing yoga nidra at night when they can't fall asleep and when the mind is spinning. So yes. Well, kind of, you know, coming, you, you had talked about journaling just briefly and in your book and in both books, you know, you have journaling as a practice throughout. And then I know in your meditation, meditation trainings, it's the same and you have the journaling after practices Can you speak to just the power of maybe putting pen to paper and writing out your experiences? Yeah. I mean, I think that we all have different ways of doing that. Some of us like to write. um, Some of us like to draw. Some of us might create poetry or a song or record something on the voice recorder. But I think that it's really important that after practice, that we take some time to be able to integrate, to translate, to process what we received. We know that when we meditate, when we practice yoga, when we practice yoga nidra, something within us clears and there's clear sight before we jump back into the cycle of doing. And I think too many times we are jumping back in and then we lose the wisdom that we just received or the clarity that we just received because it's so subtle. So this is the reason why I always bring in these inquiry practices and and time for what I call free writing, which um, if you look up the definition, it's basically like writing without concern for format, without concern for grammar or sentence structure. It's just like your heart is the one that is doing the writing. And there's so much wisdom that comes from that. And I think that it's surprising to people when they go back and read what they wrote after a practice, 
they they really drop into this feeling of, oh, I didn't realize I was so wise. I didn't realize that I knew this. And so it helps us to connect with our inner knowing, our creativity, and our own genius when we do this. I mean, I'll share the experience I had when I did your, you came on to our Shakti school and with Ayurveda. And that was, I want to say it was 2019. And you have, you gave homework out as 40 days of yoga ninja practice. And I did it. I did the 40 days and I wrote down the things. And at the end of the 40 days, I had this studio, like, I didn't know I wanted that. And I actually had the place and was all set to open. And, you know, ironically, two days before I signed the lease, COVID happened. And one of my clients had just stepped in and totally divine on her part had just said, Hey, make sure it's ADA compliant. Cause she was a lawyer and it was stairs to get down to the studio. So I just wanted to verify and that prolonged it the week. And then COVID happened, everything shut down. And so I, I told her, I was like, thank you so much. You know, that was there. The dream is there. And it's still kind of within me. It's just shifted in the ways that it's been, but that experience of writing down and just having this thing come to fruition so quickly. And I have no idea. I'd kind of been in the back of my head, but yoga nidra really brought it to the forefront. And so, you know, I am a believer in it and just taking that time to write. Cause I don't think if I would have, you know, been writing after it would have just probably just sat there and I wouldn't have really done anything about it. So I definitely have seen in my own life, the power of that. Mm, thank you for sharing that story. And I think that what I have noticed is if you practice yoga nidra for 40 days, along with free writing, something is going to shift and you're going to move into a more powerful place in your life, whether it's that I manifested a studio or I just have a deeper sense of who I am, or I have a deeper sense of what real rest is. There's there's power and rest. And I think that's the thing that um, sometimes gets lost. Well, I want to kind of, you know, land our interview today, but I want to first mm. tap back into, you know, the luminous self. Mm. Who did you write this book for? And if someone's listening, they're like, is this book for me? <laughs> that's such an interesting question to ask. Yeah. You know, I wrote this book for the me that was 28 years ago, walking into a yoga studio and wanting something deep, mm. but getting something that was on the surface, mm. wanting something that could transform me and having to search and search and search and find a teacher and a, a lineage of practices that could offer me that depth of practice that was transformative. I don't think we have a lot of time, and I've said this before on other interviews, to play around anymore, mm -hmm. right? And that's not to say that you shouldn't be in joy and in awe because I love joy and awe and I've tried to find it every day. But there's no more time to play small. There's no more time um, to, to be in spiritual practice um, just for the good parts and overlooking our own darkness, overlooking the obstacles that stand in our way of really standing in our truth. Um, 
And so this book is really all of the practices that I have done, that I have taught over the 20 something years that I've been teaching and 28 years of practice that I know bring transformation if they're done with devotion and some consistency. I want people to be able to wake up to the fullness of who they are. And if I have tools to do that, that I know work, I feel like as a yoga facilitator, person who loves to to be in community and hold space, that it is my dharma to be able to share those practices. I'm not about hoarding information. <laughs> I, I want it, it to be shared. <laughs> I love that. And that's one of the reasons I was trying to slow down through the books. I was like, I want to go back. And I was trying to prepare for the interview, but I also was like, I want to sit with these practices. Cause again, I've just felt the profoundness from your teachings and, you know, and I, I know that if you take your time and, you know, do the, do the work and practice and show up daily, it, you know, it does transform your life. So thank you for sharing all of that wisdom. Thank you so much, Andrea. <laughs> so I just have one final question for you. I always like to have a weekly challenge to end the interview. So when I have a guest on, I have you throw out a little challenge to everyone. What would you like that challenge to be Tracy? I like the challenge to be, to answer this question. If part of your legacy was to change the relationship to rest for your lineage, how would you begin? Well, thank you again for coming on and sharing your insights. Uh, it's truly appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. And everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power. <laughs>